you have your Bible, you can turn in Colossians chapter 3. We'll be in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a black hardback Bible on the back of the pew right in front of you, and you can grab one of those. We'll be continuing in, in Colossians. So over the past month, if you've been with us, you know that, uh, that Pastor Richard's been doing an Advent series through the early chapters of the book of Luke, uh, focused on the, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. But this morning we're picking back up in Colossians. We've been going through Colossians about once every couple months when either I have the opportunity to preach or Pastor Nick has the opportunity to preach. So we're picking up here, right here in chapter 3, verse 1. So I would, I would ask if you're able to, uh, to please stand again for the reading of God's Word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray that you would please uh, fill me with the Holy Spirit to preach your word faithfully. Lord, give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see the truth in your word. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us this morning of how we need to change going into the new year. Lord, not by own, our own power, but by your power in us. And it's in Jesus' na name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, it's that time of year again, isn't it? It's that time of year when people are moving up to the next belt loop after a week or two of eating nothing but Christmas cookies and fudge and pies. It's also that time of year when people are making all these vows with themselves of how they're going to change their habits going into the new year, saying things like they're never going to eat bread ever again. You'll see people in the next few weeks doing things like peeling the hamburger buns off their hamburgers and just eating the patties and other things like that. And then in about a month and a half, it's Valentine's Day, and we're all just giving each other these giant boxes of chocolate, right? That's what we do. The most common New Year's resolu resolutions I found this list in an article in a survey. The most common New Year's resolutions are to exercise more, to lose weight, to get organized, to learn a new skill or hobby, to save more money and to spend less money, to quit smoking, 
to spend more time with family and friends. Those are good ones. To travel more. To read more. But anybody have a guess on how long the average New Year's resolution lasts? Yeah, about a month. Some people say a couple days. Well, according to a survey of Americans, it was 36 days. 36 days. So it seems like most people tend to say, all right, I'm going to do it the month of January. They get, then they get through that first week of February, and they're like, I still got a long way to go this year. I think I'm going to give it up. And we've all been there before, right? In fact, Adrian is wanting to do this thing start next week called Whole 30. Maybe some of you have heard that. Maybe some of you have done that before. Basically, it means for 30 days, Whole 30, for 30 days, you do nothing but eat whole foods. Nothing processed, no added sugar, no dairy, no processed bread products, just meat, vegetables, fruits. I like those things in general, and she's trying to get me to do it, do it with her. She's still trying to persuade me to jump in, do that for the month of January. And I just, I think I could do it. I'm almost convinced, except for the dairy part. I just really like to eat cheese. So no cheese or no ice cream for a month would be difficult. All right, but we all probably have some sort of New Year's resolutions on our mind right now. Maybe already you have some, something in your mind. You think, this is how I'm going to change next year. This is a new habit I want to have in my life. But I want us to look this morning at God's Word together. Here in Colossians chapter 3, look at God's Word and see what God is calling us to do this new year. And I want to encourage us to make resolutions with eternal significance. Not just these menial little things, but, but resolutions with eternal significance. With a focus on greater faithfulness and greater obedience to Jesus Christ in our life. Look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. This is the first command in this chapter. It says, if you've been raised with Christ, here's the command. Seek the things that are above. Seek what is above. So the scriptures here are, are pointing our hearts, pointing our eyes to things of eternal significance, of spiritual things, of heavenly things, not just earthly or worldly things. So again, do you have resolutions that are just earthly or worldly things? Or this year, are you seeking the things that are above? That brings us to point one. In your outline, which is just the first command there in the text, which is simply seek the things that are above. Seek the things are, that are above. What are you seeking in life? What are you setting your mind on? Look at verse 2. Set your minds on what? On the things that are above. What are your goals going into the new year? What do you wake up every morning and focus on and think about? Does it have anything to do with Christ and with obedience to him and with glorifying him and getting rid of the sin in your life that, that, that is prohibiting you from, from obeying Christ? Now this brings to mind to us when, when we think about we're so distracted by all these things in the world that get our attention and we don't focus on the things that are above this brings to mind when Jesus said, Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
It's so easy to get anxious and distracted and burdened by all the things in this world, all the problems that come our way, the, the, all the to-do lists that we have every day in our life. <clears throat> and the scripture here is calling us to set your minds on the things that are above where Christ is. And notice it says where Christ is, where he is seated at the right hand of God. So ultimately this is saying set your minds on Jesus Christ. Focus on him first and foremost. And in these first four verses, I want you to notice in these first four verses, there's four truth statements. I think it's given us four truth statements that we can focus on going into this new year, that we can be grounded in. The first one comes in verse 1, and the, the true statement is that you have been raised with Christ, where he is at the right hand of God. That's verse 1. It says, you have been raised with Christ. So positionally, if you're a believer in, in Christ Jesus, that's how God sees you, is you are already raised with him. You are already victorious over the sin in your life because of the victory that he accomplished for us on the cross. The second truth statement we see comes in verse 3. It says, you have died with Christ, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That's why we read Romans 6 earlier, this truth that our old self, the old you was buried with Christ, you died with Christ, and God doesn't see you as that anymore. He, he has clothed you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that's how he sees you now. So your old self was buried with him. The third true statement we see in verse 4, that Christ is your life. Look what it says, when Christ who is your life appears. So now your whole life is for the glory of Christ. He is your life. You live for him. That's what we just saying, hallelujah, all I have is Christ, hallelujah, Jesus is my life. So everything in your life should be oriented to Christ, your marriage, how you raise your children, how you do your job at work, your, all of your relationships, all of it should be oriented around Christ and how he would have you live in those areas. And then number four, the fourth true, true statement comes in the second half of verse four. It says, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You also will appear with him in glory. This is, this is setting our minds. This is fixing our gaze to the glory that's to come when Jesus Christ comes back and he makes all things new. We will appear with him and we'll have eternal life with resurrection bodies with him forever. That truth should be enough to cause us to live for and focus on Jesus Christ every day of our life. So there's a lot of commands in chapter 3. And, and just chapter 3 alone of Colossians, there's actually 17 commands. Either don't do this or stop doing these things. Do these things. So there's, there's 30 commands total in the whole book of Colossians. But 17, over half of them, occur in this one chapter. So as we go through these, I want you to hear clearly, and I want you to see clearly in the scriptures that the message of the scriptures, it's not saying change, be better, stop doing these things over here. Start doing these things now, and then 
If you do that, I will love you. And then if you do that, I will accept you and forgive you. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look how it starts out. It says, if you've been raised with Christ, it, it's putting it the other way of, around. Because you've already been raised with Christ, because you've been saved, now as a saved person, not in order to be saved, but now as a saved person, do these things. Live more like Christ. And it, it's not a contradiction it's not a contradiction on one hand to emphasize the grace of God and salvation, that we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and that's what saves us. And on the other hand, now that we're believers in Christ, to say, we need to obey Jesus. And I think a lot of times we get hesitant when we get around some of these passages to say, well, we're emphasizing we don't want to emphasize works too much and preach a works-based salvation. This isn't a works-based salvation. This is simply saying to believers, because Jesus has saved you and he's your Lord and Savior, obey him. There's some sin in your life that you need to get rid of, that you need to put to death. There's some new things, attributes of Christ that you need to put on. Obey him out of love for him. Jesus said in John Jesus said in John 14, 15, if, or 15, 14, if you love me, you will obey me. So this is a chapter about sanctification, not about salvation necessarily, but, but about sanctification as growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ to be more like him. And again, it's the gospel that saves us, that sanctifies us, that that sustains us in the faith. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 2. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So the gospel that we initially received at conversion that saved us, we have to still rely on the gospel of grace, and that's what sustains us in the faith. That's what keeps us in the faith and grows us in the faith. It all comes back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus died for sinners, that his blood shed for us accomplished the salvation of our sins. So again, now being grounded in that, grounded in the truth of the gospel, going into the new year, seek the things that are above. Seek Christ. It's hard for us to do that. I think another way of saying this is that we should live our lives in light of eternity. In light of the fact that this life is fleeting. But what comes after this life is forever. Listen to James 4.14. It says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will, will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. A lot of us this week during Christmas had, had empty chairs at, at our table. And, and my family was, was one of those. And it's always a reminder of those that we love so much and that we miss and that we wish were still with us. It should also be a reminder to us of how, of how temporary this life is. 
And it, it, it should set our minds on eternal things, not just the things of this world. And in fact, part of our time in Murray this week, Adrian and I went down to Murray for, for Christmas, and part of our time was spent uh, in the hospital with, with Adrian's grandmother. While, while we were there, actually, she was put in the hospital. And at this point, the doctors are saying it's, it's probably the last... She probably has a, a few more days, Adrian's grandmother does. So that may have been the last time that, that Adrian and I were able to speak with her a few days ago. And Adrian and I, just last night, we, we received even more news on that. And we were talking about it and thinking about it. We were praying for her grandmother. And it, it just put us in a place when we were talking to each other where we were really talking about what is most important in this life. What does God want most from us? It, it, it makes all of the other things in this life that we get distracted with, that we tend to focus on, that we get anxious about, it makes them all fade away. And remember that, that, that we have eternal life after this, and we shouldn't live our lives focused on earthly things, but focused on Christ and what's to come in eternity. Remember that this life is fleeting. And thankfully... Thankfully, we know that Adrian's grandmother is a strong believer and will be with Christ in heaven. So what are you setting your mind on? What are you filling your mind with? What do you think about most of the time? What are you reading, watching, looking at, listening to? Do these things point you more to Jesus Christ? So the next big command, if you look back at Colossians chapter 3, <coughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the next big command happens right at the beginning of verse 5. And notice that there's a therefore again. So it's based on those four truth statements that we talked about. Based on these things, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So that brings us to point two in our outline. Put to death what is earthly in you. And notice the wording here. It doesn't say to tame it or to try to keep it under control, but to put it to death. What's earthly in you, it's talking about the sin in your life, the, the sin that still has some root in your heart, to kill it. I heard another pastor a few years ago use an illustration similar to this, and it, it always stuck with me. So I wanted, you, I wanted to share it with you this morning. Uh, does anyone remember uh, the magicians, entertainers, uh, Siegfried and Roy? Those guys, they were these magicians, illusionists who performed in Las Vegas, mainly at the Mirage Hotel. And they would have these elaborate uh, performances. And they were most famous for having these giant 400-pound white Bengal tigers. And these white, giant Bengal tigers would, would do whatever they wanted them to do. When they, would, when they would want them to stand up on their hind legs, they would do that. If they wanted them to jump through a hoop or jump into a box, they would do that. So does anyone know um, how their career ended? Looks like some people are nodding their heads. For those of you who don't know, you want to guess, I'll give you a hint. 400-pound tigers. 
So in 2003, a 380-pound tiger that they had used for years attacked Roy Horn, one of the performers, knocked him down, grabbed him with his jaws by his neck, just like they would do their prey, and he was dragged off the stage by the tiger. The audience was horrified that one of these magicians was just dragged off stage, bleeding from the neck, being mauled by this tiger. Unfortunately, Roy Horn didn't die, but he did suffer a severed artery in his neck, damage to his spinal column, a crushed windpipe, and it left him partially paralyzed for the rest of his life, and it permanently ended his career in show business. When I was reading about these things, there was another trainer named Ettore Weber who was killed in 1997 by a tiger. So he wasn't as lucky. He was in show business and was actually killed by the tiger. And he was actually not the performer, but the tiger tamer, as they call it, as if you can tame a 400-pound predator. But he was a tiger tamer. And so I was reading some news articles about this. And some of the most relevant news articles about this to this day um, are asking the question, why on earth did this happen? So here's an excerpt from an article on today.com from the Today Show. It says, the tiger was, they, there's different theories about why this would have possibly ever happened. So it says, the tiger was hungry theory was ruled out. And there was no proof that the animal was deliberately provoked by someone in the audience or that a terrorist group sprayed it with a behavior-altering scent or that it was unhinged by a woman with a beehive hairdo. So these were all these different theories that came up of why in the world this happened. But federal investigators still do not know what led a Bengal tiger to attack illusionist Roy Hoyne of Siegfried and Roy during a performance nearly two years ago. So these guys, they've been at... When this article was written, they were investigating this for years. After two years, they're saying, we still don't know what caused this. So I'm not, you know, I'm no Steve Irwin. I'm not a, I'm not a special investigator trained in zoology. But I think I have a theory about why this happened. It's, it's a tiger, right? It, it's, everyone's overlooking the obvious. This article... If you were to just read this article, you would think they're talking about someone's pet bunny rabbit. I'm just, I don't know why in the world it would, this would happen. Why this little bunny or kitty cat would attack this man. But here's the point. Here's the point. Is that these are serious, dangerous animals. And when you simply treat them like a stage prop that you have completely under your control, they can attack you and change your life forever or even kill you, oftentimes when you least suspect it. And I'm afraid that a lot of times, I'm afraid that a lot of times we tend to treat sin like that. There may be a sin in your life that's been in your life for years that you think you have it under control. You think you've tamed it. When you say, go sit down over there, it sits when you see, say, stand up, st- it stands up. When you say, now lie back down, it lies down. And you think you have control over it and that it's harmless. But let this be a warning that sin is dangerous 
and destructive. And if you keep it around in your life, eventually it will wreck your life. It can absolutely destroy you. It can destroy your relationships. It can destroy your marriage and your family. And the scripture here is calling us to kill sin in our life, to put it to death. Don't think that you have it under control and on a leash. You have to put to death the sin in your life. Listen to James 1, 14 through 15. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So that's what the scriptures warn of, is this is the end road. This is the end of the road that sin leads to, which is death and destruction. Some of you may be familiar with the 17th century pastor, theologian, John Owen. His most famous quote, or one of his most famous, famous quotes is this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. It comes from his book, The Mortification of the Flesh. And in the larger context, he says, do you mortify? I mean, do you kill the sin in your life? Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while, while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And some of the language is dated here, but he goes on to say, let no man think to kill sin with a few easy or gentle strokes. He who has once smitten a serpent, if he follow not on his blow until it be slain, may repent that he ever began the quarrel. And so he who undertakes to deal with sin, but per pursues it not constantly to the death. We tend to tame sin in the way that we talk about it. We say things like, oh, it's, it's just a bad habit. Well, you know, everyone does it. You know, it's normal. Or, or we excuse it. Or, well, that's just the way I am. Or that's just the way they are. You know, they're just wired that way. They're never going to change. Or, oh, it's just a little white lie. Or, oh, it's just a, a guilty pleasure of mine. We kind of tame it and put it in this other category. But that's not how God views sin. God hates sin. It's, it's an offense against God. It's a, it's a stench to him. So we have to view sin in the same way that God does, and we have to do what God is calling us to do, going into the new year with the sin in our life, which is kill it, which is to put it to death. And what you see, there's two lists presented here. And just briefly, we're going to look together at a, at a couple of these sins that it lists here. There's two lists. There's a list of sins in verse 5. It says, <clears throat> it says there in verse 5, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then there's another list there in verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. But I want to focus on a couple here. The first one, which is at the top of the list, which is, if you read through the scriptures, which almost always tends to be at the top of the list for some reason when, when these sins are listed, is sexual immorality. In Galatians 5.19, a similar list is, is given. It says, now the, the works of the flesh are evident, and the first one named is sexual immorality, then impurity and sensuality. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9, another similar list is given. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters. And it goes on to list this and that. So I want you to see, almost always, that one in particular is put at the very top. Why is that? Well, I think it's a very common sin that all people have struggled with throughout history. This, these letters were written 2,000 years ago to the New Testament churches. And that's what they're struggling with, is the sexual immorality of the culture that's infected them and the church. It's easy to see that our, that our culture is now consumed and obsessed with sexual sin to the point that there is confusion or uncertainty about what is actually moral or immoral. And so I just want to say that the Bible makes it very clear it's not uncertain in the scriptures. Sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman according to God's design. So that would include premarital sexual activity, homosexuality, lust and pornography, adultery. It's all equally sin. It's all equally immoral. And we're called to kill it. Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor by all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So again, God's design, the marriage bed is what is held up as good and moral according to how God designed it to be. And anything outside of that, just to be clear, is sexual immorality. And it's a temptation that is very powerful. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says to flee from it, to flee from it. The way to kill this sin in your life is to flee from it, to get away from it, to avoid the temptation altogether, to not give in, and to starve it, to ultimately starve it. So be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Then notice at the end of verse 5, it, 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 it points out covetousness, covetousness, and it says that it is idolatry. So to covet is to desire or to yearn for something in your heart that is not yours. This is the 10th commandment of the 10th commandments of the 10 commandments. It says to not covet your neighbor's house or wife or donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. Okay, so again, to covet is to not be satisfied with what God has given you in life and just desire what's not yours. And the Bible here calls it, calls it idolatry because ultimately it reveals that your heart is consumed with and focused on these things and desires these things more than it desires God. So it's idolatry. And then verse 8, this, that list ends with slander and obscene talk from your mouth. It's so easy and subtle to fall into sin in our speech. But it, just a reminder, it's not just words, it is sin. So again, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Uh, when we were in Israel, uh, <clears throat> my landlord became a believer. And shortly after that, one of the first things he was asking is, we were, we were talking and he kept asking about 
had to over, had to had to deal with all these problems in his life. His, his his he had problems in his marriage. He had he had a strained relationship with his kids. There was some a mess he had gotten into in his business relationships with work with his own brother. They hadn't spoken in over a year, and all all this was really a result of sin. And at first, when I was talking to him, I was trying to kind of address each little area, and and there was. We weren't just, we weren't going anywhere with it. He was trying to control each little situation and kind of fix each little situation himself. And finally, I believe the Holy Spirit gave me these words to say to him. I just looked at him and said, brother, you have to die. He kind of looked at me like, are you crazy? Are you saying I have to, have to die? What are you talking about? And I brought him to this passage here, to, to Galatians chapter 2 to Romans 6 and showed him the, the truth that all, the, all these things that are still in you, you have to die and give your life fully to Christ. You're not going to fix all these things on your own. The old you has to be put to death so that you can have new life in Christ. And all, all of a sudden you could kind of see the, the light bulb go off. And it made sense to him that I'm not going to be able to fix all these things in my life I just need to focus on living less for myself and putting these, these old desires in me to death and living more each day for Christ. And it was so encouraging. That it was actually the day before we left, the day before we got on an airplane to come back to the States, we had a meal with him and his family. And you could see that he was a brand new man, that he was changed, that he was loving his family, that he was leading his family, that, that him and his wife and his kids, they'd been restored and he was changed not because he just tried harder not because he just thought I'm going to become a better person now but he decided I'm going to stop just living for myself and I'm willing to die to my old self and live for Jesus Galatians 2:20 says I've been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me It'd be a great verse for us to memorize. Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this is what Colossians chapter 3 is describing. The old you and your sins being put to death and having new life in Christ. God's calling us to become who we truly are in Christ, which is dead to our old self and now raised with Christ. And then this passage ends here in verses 9 through 11 with a focus on putting on the new self. Look at the end of verse 9, the beginning of verse 10. It says, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So this leads us to point three in our outline. Put on the new self. We don't have time this morning to cover the rest of the chapter, which goes on to describe in detail what putting on the new self actually looks like. So we'll cover that together the next time we're in Col Colossians. An actual command Put on the new self occurs there in verse 12, but the idea is still here, clearly here. And the point is, is that Jesus doesn't leave us naked. He's not just calling us to put to death and to put off the old self, and that's it. But to then put on the new self, to put on the, the attributes of Christ in our, life, in our life, to grow in Christ's likeness. I want to tell you, this is what true repentance is. This is a fullness of repentance. 
It's a common phrase to use to say, repent of your sins. To repent of your sins. But listen to what Acts 20, 20 through 21 says. It says, I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So repentance is not just turning from sin. That's definitely a big part of it. You have to turn from sin. That is repentance. But the Bible describes it here in Acts chapter 20 as repentance. So to repent just simply means to turn of repentance towards God. So it's not just putting to death the old self. It's following Jesus, repenting towards him, turning towards him, being obedient, desiring to put on the new self in Christ. Look at the end of verse 10. It says, we're being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. So this brings to mind Genesis 1, that we were made in the image of God. And after the fall, sin infected us. And, and it, it defiled us. But we can be in Christ. It made us spiritually dead. But in Christ, as a new creation in him, we can be renewed, renewed into that perfect image of God. And then verse 11 ends by reminding us all that we're all equal in Christ. He says there's, the point here is that there's not levels of Christianity. If you're in Christ, we're all equally perfect and righteous and forgiven in him. So I want to end this this morning with, with challenging all of us to do something this week. Um, a lot of times when I disciple new believers, this very passage we're reading this morning, Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 17, the fullness of this passage is one of the core passages, one of the first passages I go to with new believers in Jesus Christ. And it's really a mirror passage with Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 32. Very similar passages. So if you have a pen, I'd encourage you to write this down. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. And then this week, open up your Bible, grab a pen and a piece of paper, and go to those passages, and draw a line right down the middle of that piece of paper. And on the left, at the top of that list, write, put to death or put off. And then on the right of that line, making another column, write, put on in Christ. And then read these passages, meditate on these passages, read them carefully. And every deed of the flesh, every, or every earthly thing, every sin that you see in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4, listed out on that left side of things to put to death. And everything that the scriptures call us to put on in those chapters list out on that right side. And then pray and ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of how this word of God applies to you specifically. And circle the ones on the left that you're convicted of, that this is still a problem in my life. And circle the ones on the right that, that you see, I really need to work on putting on these things in my life to be more like Jesus Christ. And at the end of that, flip to Galatians 5.16. Remind yourself, Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
remember and remind yourself of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you're saved by grace alone. That in order to obey Jesus and live the life that he is calling us to live, you have to walk in the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it in your own power. And then pray and ask God help you to help you to be more obedient to him this new year. So I'll do that this week with you. I want to challenge you to do that this week. And maybe you're here this morning and you're, and you're aware right now that I don't even know if I'm saved. I may not even be a believer. I don't know if I've truly put my faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, I've never even repented of my sins at all. I want to call you to put your faith in Jesus Christ today. Go to God. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Confess your sins to him. Confess him as your Lord and Savior and live a new life for Jesus Christ this new year. Do you want to go into another year with these same things in your life that you hate about yourself, that you know are an offense to God? Are you ready to to, to repent of your sins and give your life fully to Jesus Christ? So what will your New Year's resolutions be this year? Will you set your mind fully on what's above, not just on the earthly things? Will you put to death the sin in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word, for the challenge of it, Lord, for, Lord, that you love us enough to not just let us stay in our comfortable little place toying with the sin in our life that is so dangerous to us and destructive. God, I thank you that you love us enough to send your son, Jesus, to die for our sins, to be raised from the dead so that we have the promise of eternal life, that you sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us and empower us. Lord, and that you call us to something greater. God, please help us to do that. Lord, please help us to walk by the Spirit each day. Lord, I pray if there's anyone this, in this room who does not yet know you, who's convicted right now and knows they need to give their life to you, God, I pray they would do that this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We all can stand as we prepare to sing again and worship God. And again, I'll be down front as we're singing this last song. If you need uh, to talk, if you need to pray, if you need to confess your sin and give your life to Christ, I would love to talk to you about that this morning. So let's sing together.